Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. And Mike, we have some Billie Jean King Cup action to look back on as Canada has qualified again for the finals. And also Andre Rublev captured his first Masters 1000 this past week, winning in Monte Carlo. And to help us break down all the action, starting out west in Vancouver, uh, this week, we're very happy to welcome one of the hardest working sports reporters out there. She's a host and writer for Homestand Sports, lead writer of the program and content creator of The Slice, uh, Karina Mustafa. Welcome to Matchpoint Canada. Thank you so much, Mike and Ben. I'm really, really stoked to be on this podcast. Yeah, it was uh, it was due time to have you because I know I've, I've been on your show a couple times and we've also been on The Slice. Uh, so great to have you. I'll, I'll start with your experience getting out in Vancouver and covering this important tie for Canada facing off against Belgium. Uh, just firstly, what, what was it like, I guess, inside the Pacific Coliseum, the, the atmosphere, and um, how did you enjoy your stay and enjoy your weekend out in BC? The atmosphere was amazing. Vancouver shows out for tennis. That place was packed and full of very excited fans. So like you can have a place filled with a lot of people, but you can have them not be into it, but these like these fans were really, really into it. They were rallying really hard behind all of the players, especially Rebecca Marino, obviously, because she's from Vancouver. Like her cheers definitely felt a little bit uh, louder than everybody else's, but they really showed out. I loved being in there, just kind of surrounded by all of these fans, seeing how they were able to support the players and ultimately like get the win as well. Yeah, and we, we talked about going in. Obviously, Canada was the favorite on paper, but Bianca Andreescu's out with the injury. There is veteran experience on the Belgian side that we thought maybe this could be a closer tie than expected. And it turns out it came right down to a doubles rubber. Was there maybe a key like standout moment in one of these matches or or key kind of turning point that allowed Canada to get this victory maybe? Listen, on that second day, I was ready to name my column Canadian Comeback because that's what it felt like when <laughs> okay. Layla was down um, against Zizeline and in the first match and then she rallied back and then it looked like Catherine Sivov might was going to rally back as well too, obviously didn't, but she did win that second set. I think there was just like a different resiliency in all these Team Canada players, um, especially, like I said, with the crowd behind them. I think also another key factor was having Captain Heidi with them. She is like, especially being there in person and seeing what she's like, I can see her like lifting them up after every single point, especially when things aren't going their way. Um, when Layla was down, I think it was, she was down like 4-0 uh, in the, I forget which set it was, but you know, usually like the players, you're down 4-0, you're kind of ready to like give up and like give in to that uh, particular set. But that was actually the turning point for Layla, I felt like. And she even mentioned it in the post presser after where she just told herself to smile, just smile and enjoy it. And then she was able to just play her her style of tennis and ultimately get the win. I think like they they did a lot of figuring out within the matches themselves and just kind of figuring out their games, figuring out their opponents as well. Cause like you said, like this was a very tough tie between Belgium. And I think, as you mentioned in one of your questions in, in post um, Billie Jean King cup tie press there with Gabby, who said that intelligence was one of the words I think she would use to describe them and how analytical they were during the matches. So definitely, I think we saw that through the course of, of the tie and I'm not going to lie. I was a little bit worried even beforehand with, Bianca not being there, that the experience on the Belgium side might be something that could cause the upset here. 
Um, Layla was huge, obviously, winning both of her singles matches and coming in clutch in doubles as well. Um, how did it feel after uh, Belgium evened things up at two apiece? What was the mood like heading into that all-important doubles match? And what do you make of doubles having such a prominent role uh, that it ended up playing in this type? Honestly, at first, I was like, of course, my weekend is coming down to the deciding match. <laughs> it was like getting late. I was like still adjusting to the time zone. Um, but honestly, I think the mood was still really positive. And I think that's one of the biggest things they harped on this weekend, where no matter what the record was, they were feeling really good about where they were at with their tennis. And I think going into that doubles match, like Layla, to me, this weekend had played some of the best tennis I've seen from her in a in a very long time um she's looking a lot more confident and that's why i also felt confident with her going into this match with gabby who they played before gabby's obviously a very talented doubles player um i think you felt that the advantage was going to be in canada's favor so i think i was feeling i was feeling good i'm sure the players are feeling good because i really only saw positivity from them throughout this entire weekend was there any sort of um, disappointment at the fact that Rebecca Marino only got in the one singles match? And can you talk about the decision to have Catherine Sabov uh, play the second one, which kind of surprised me? I'm not sure if Rebecca was maybe dealing with something, you know, injury wise or felt a tweak or something along those lines. What was the rationale to put um, her in there? Yeah. So in Rebecca's first match, uh, about like halfway through she started to feel nauseous she said and she had kind of an upset stomach so she wasn't feeling well um and ultimately the decision came that night so the the night before day two to put Sebov in just because Rebecca didn't want to risk it again she wasn't feeling too well with her stomach the day before and Heidi had also mentioned that it had taken a bit of a toll on her that match like mentally as well as well as physically um so they made that decision to put Catherine in which like Heidi said impressive she's like I thought it was a good decision and honestly like Catherine played really really well um, as we saw, and she was like able to overcome her nerves as well. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what's going on. There's no injury. There's no injury or anything like that. She was just had an upset, upset stomach that day and decided not to risk it going into day two. Yeah. And honestly, I, th- I think even though Sebov lost that uh, fourth singles match, even pushing that in three sets, I-, I felt like that was almost a boost for Canada. It- it's not like she lost two and two or something. It was very close, very competitive. She was right there. She could have won that match and it set them up uh, to be pretty well rested for doubles. Um, obviously, player of the weekend has to be Layla Annie Fernandez, who who won all of her matches. I'm wondering, you know, if we look at her season as a whole, it's been sort of win one, lose one in a lot of tournaments and losing to some top players. I wonder if you think maybe this weekend could be a good springboard for her um, for the rest of her season as she moves over to the clay, where, of course, she had some success last year, too. I think so. I think I was watching her practice on the very first day. And I, guys, I got to tell you, I felt something different watching her. I was like, I have a special feeling. She seems like she's really sharp in practice. Um, Something feels different. And then she came out and she won that first set 6-0. And I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, this is like, this is the Layla we're getting this weekend. She just looks so sharp. So on top of her game, she seems really confident in her style. I even asked her, I was like, hey, like you seem like a very clutch player. You go for those big points all the time. She'd like, she served an ace on so many important points this weekend. Like it was giving me anxiety. I was like, I don't know how she doesn't have this anxiety when she's going up. Um, But just the level of confidence, maybe because it was a team event as well. Maybe that gave her a different kind of push. But I really think that the success from this weekend and the way that she played is going to improve uh, her record, I think, for the rest of this year. 
She she plays to that crowd a lot too, right? I, I mean, we saw it obviously in her 2021 run at the U.S. Open making the finals, but I can only imagine like playing in Canada. She thrives off that type of atmosphere. And even when she's not in Canada, she always seems to shift the crowd in her favor, which seems to be like a huge dynamic for her. She loves it. I mean, her and I are both 20 years old. So like whenever I look at her, Is I kind of Is that how see... old you are really? Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I swear, Mike, like I am only like a couple of weeks older than Layla. Like well, you've accomplished just like Layla, then you have accomplished a lot for your young age. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, but yeah, so like because we're the same age, I feel like I look to her to see like similarities in like our mindsets and kind of the way we deal with things. But the one thing that she has that I do not have is that confidence when it comes to like taking energy from a giant crowd like that and not getting nervous and she's really not afraid of the spotlight and that's something that I really admire from her and and she did exactly what you know Canada needed her to do which was live up to your ranking live up to your billing as the best player between both teams and that's not easy to do sometimes just because you're expected to you know in sports anything can happen obviously and with Bianca not there I mean originally we thought oh this is going to be the dream team we're going to have Bianca Layla Annie both there Gabby Dabrowski in doubles uh and yet Bianca did show up which I was kind of surprised at because you don't often see players who are injured then show up to support their team on the sidelines what did you make of her being there in a supporting role and, and what do you think that um you know sort of energy and influence might have had on the team throughout the weekend I think it was huge that Bianca was there, not only for her teammates, but also for the fans that were at the arena as well. Um, when she wasn't cheering on her teammates, she was signing autographs. She was taking photos. She even did like a book signing between two of the matches on Saturday. I think her impact in Canadian tennis like cannot be spoken about enough. Um, all of her teammates kind of emphasize like how great it was for her to be there. She's super positive. She was like she was doing stuff with Tennis Canada socials like she's very, very involved. And you can tell that she's a very dedicated teammate, even though she wasn't able to play. Um, I think her her appearance at this event was extremely important and extremely indicative of who she is as a person. I feel like she's very genuine um, and that kind of shines through in everything she does. Yeah, well said. It, it didn't surprise me or Ben to see her there. But uh, again, I don't think that would be the norm for a lot of players. So good on her. Now, let's assume, knock on wood, that Bianca's healthy again for the Billie Jean Cup finals later this year. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here. But do you think this team can be a, a contender when it comes to that time? Um, I mean, I'm going to have to say yes, right? I can't, I can't <laughs> say no. Um, I think, honestly, like seeing them in person was a lot different to me where I could feel their energy as well um and i think if they show up with the same amount of resilience as they did this last weekend that they could really cause some trouble especially as well if uh, bianca's healthy for them too yeah that, that'll be pivotal just having all uh all the roster healthy and, and good to go end of the season which uh, it doesn't always work out that way uh you asked them in press conference uh the one word to describe the group so i mean i'll put you on the spot what would your one word be to describe uh canada's performance this weekend and, and how they played now i see why that question was so hard for them <laughs> <laughs> yeah you had they to know struggled. that was coming at some point come on yeah <laughs> yeah i know uh by the way just like before I, I give my word like gabby's answer about being intelligent i really really resonated with that i really love that she said that just because 
you know, as like women in sports, you don't really tend to get a lot of that discussion and or appreciation, I should say, about how intelligent these women are in their own sports, um, as well as people who cover it, too. So it was really nice to hear her to hear her just talk about like, hey, like we're really smart. Uh, we know this sport really well. And that's one of the things that I love about this squad. So I just wanted to to give props to that mm -hmm. to Gabby, who's also probably like one of the most genuine and nicest people I've ever met. Um, but a word is totally not giving myself time to think about a word. Yeah. Um, honestly, fun or mm, maybe positive. I know that's two words, but I feel like with every match, even after a loss, it was always something positive. Nobody ever got too down on themselves throughout this weekend. Um, and I think that really showed through and why they were able to get the win. I like it. Positive was the word I was thinking of in case Ben, you know, flipped the script on me there too. So good, <laughs> good, good choice. Um, hey, just moving away from the Billie Jean King Cup for a second, Karina, I want to talk a little bit about yourself and, and covering sports in general, because as I said in the lead in, I think like you're one of the busiest people out there covering. I know it's mostly tennis and basketball, but it seems like it's 24 seven for you. And you know how some people count their steps. Like I'd love to know if you had some device that could measure how many hours a week you were watching or covering sports, what that might be, because it seems really, really high. Um, what got you into tennis in particular originally, like a little bit maybe of your tennis origin story? What drew you to the sport and, and how much time do you spend following it on a weekly basis, would you say? Uh, yeah, so my tennis origin story goes back to Simona Halep. Um, she's the reason why I started watching tennis. I have we're both Romanian. She was kind of the Romanian icon in our in my household growing up so I grew up watching her and I really really fell in love with her and became super attached as you guys know um and then I just kind of started watching tennis in general after that I was like hey I kind of like this sport it's pretty cool and then it slowly became an obsession whereas like tennis is now my number one sport for sure nice. um I try to watch it as much as possible I uh, have my uh IPTV for when I don't get the American channels here. Uh, so I try to keep up with it however I can. Um, and then, do, do yeah. You play it? Do you play it all? Do you hit? I am not good at tennis. So I, I go out <laughs> and I hit with my my sister and my parents during the summer. We have like a, literally have a concrete court in our neighborhood. So it's oh, not, okay. it's it's nothing, nothing serious, nothing crazy. Um, but I'm, I feel much more comfortable analyzing it than playing it for sure. But yeah, that's kind of my tennis story. That's how I got into tennis. I watched tennis a lot, actually. It was really hard this last couple of months, like with March Madness, since I'm also like into basketball as well balancing March Madness which with also like the NBA and then the WNBA is rolling around soon as well it feels like even though it's two sports it's like a lot of these like different leagues which is what makes it so hard to keep up with everything because then I have like the WNBA the NBA college basketball which thankfully just ended um then you have the WTA the ATP and like all the other extra tennis stuff in between it's a lot yeah. it's a lot and I mean I think we've spoken before um you know just on a personal level about it's important for reporters also to take time for themselves. You know, like there's been this big push the last couple of years for athletes to take time for themselves and, and take care of their mental health. And I mean, same can be said for us because I know Ben and I each week, like we joke about how we're the two people we talk to the most throughout the week, family and friends aside, just how many hours we put into just even match point Canada, let alone our other tennis coverage. So uh, yeah, just, I think all three of us uh, definitely need to be cognizant of that as well. You got to take time for yourself although it sounds like you had mentioned Billie Jean King Cup you had a little bit of downtime as well during the days before the matches started 
Yeah, I like I said before, I was like, I got really lucky because the forecast originally said that it was going to be rainy, cloudy all weekend in Vancouver, which is like, that's what I was expecting. But on the Friday, the sun was shining through my window and I was like, okay, matches don't start till four. Let me let me go out and explore a little bit. So there is this um, there's this beach near my hotel called Sunset Beach Park. And so I walked along there for like 40 minutes and then right, like I got all the way up to Stanley Park and then I Walked around all the way to like Canada Place in the more like downtown area. And then I walked all the way back to my apartment. So that was like a couple hours of walking, had like 15,000 steps and the matches didn't even start yet. <laughs> so that was a pretty busy day. Um, but I was I was happy to get that. And then on the Saturday, I went over to Granville Island Market in the morning. Um, it was a bit rainy. I had to take like a little ferry thing, which was kind of cool. Um, got some lunch, got a gigantic pizza. It was amazing. Nice. That that market, everybody was telling everybody was telling me to go. It was like super close to my hotel, which was really nice because I just literally just walked over the ferry, was across in like less than 10 minutes and then came back after. It was super busy, super packed. I wish I could have stayed there longer, but uh matches were at 2 p.m. on Saturday. So I had to had to rush a little bit for that one. Well, this is gonna be very relatable content for our BC listeners, um, mapping out your experience in Vancouver, which very is great. Very specific, detailed uh, stuff No, I stuff love it. <laughs> My last question for you, as we are like in the clay season, any storylines in particular, maybe one storyline you're watching for on the men's side and one storyline you're watching for on the women's? On the men's side, I'd love to see more players other than Novak win, especially now that we still don't know where, when Rafa's coming back. I think seeing Rublev lift up the trophy in Monte Carlo uh, this week was incredible. I mean, even like Holger Rune making it to the final, like it's all these young players who are who are ready to kind of break through in the last like year or so. And so I'm excited to see them succeed as well as Felix as well and Chapo on the men's side. Because um, I think both of them, well, actually, I think Chapo doesn't like Clay that much, but uh, Felix usually does pretty well on clay. So I'm excited for him as well. Um, did you want on the women's side too? Yeah, sure. On the women's side, definitely Bianca coming back. I think she said that she's going to be playing in Madrid, hopefully. Um, nice. Yes. Yeah, they they, they they did mention that. So I'm excited for her return and then as well for, for Layla to continue this really elite level of tennis that I saw from her this weekend. I thought your uh, storyline on the women's side was going to be uh, Simona Halep coming back at some point, hopefully. But, Listen, uh... I don't want to jinx that. I don't like, like, <laughs> like, like Layla said in the presser before during, uh, during Catherine's match, she was like, Hey, I'm a little bit superstitious. I'm not going to talk about what it means like to be in the finals yet. Uh, and we're just going to leave it at that. And we won't go there. All right. Simona. Got <laughs> it. Got it. Uh, Karina Mustafa, thank you so much for joining Ben and I, uh, as Ben alluded to earlier, it's been a long time coming. I think for you to join us on this side of things. And we've always been so happy to take the time with, with you and your crew as well at the slice and, uh, you know, keep doing all the great stuff you're doing. We're super impressed by you and your energy. And now that I know how old you are, I guess that's where the energy <laughs> comes from. That's, you know, I don't have it because of my advanced age, but, um, you know, good <laughs> stuff. We love what you're doing and it's uh, you're a great voice to, to add to the tennis landscape for sure. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate you both. And I respect uh, you and your work uh, for a really long time now. So I really, really appreciate that. Great to finally catch up with uh, Karina Mustafa, who I, I've been on her program a couple of times. You and I, as we said, we've been on The Slice with uh, she and Steven, and they do awesome work. And yeah, crazy that she's 20 years old and already has uh, an imprint in the sport as a journalist. So impressive. I mean, as if working with you didn't make me feel old enough as it was, you know, but <laughs> that on. was just next, next level. And, yeah. uh, 
Look, you know what's exciting is that there's young up-and-coming talent in this industry who are, you know, tennis fans first and foremost. I think mm -hmm. to cover the sport, I think you need to have that background. And, and I think it really lends itself to your work when you have a passion for the sport on a personal level. So seeing uh, reporters like her, like uh, like Stephen from The Slice as well, um, you know, many others, I think it just really adds to the voice of our sport here in Canada. Um, I, I don't ever feel like I don't ever feel, uh, you know, competition between people from other, whether it's podcasts or, or Canadian tennis writers. Um, you know, it's, uh, I'm, I'm always up for a chat with them, whether it's on the podcast or just informally speaking or at events. And I think we're all here for the same reason. And, uh, you know, we can just help bring the sport to, you know, new audiences and new levels, hopefully. And, and I think Karina is definitely one of those people that, you know, it's inspiring to talk to people like that, quite frankly. Yeah, very well said. Uh, very well said indeed. If we shift on to action from this past week, and she mentioned it, just seeing other players win big titles uh, over to the Monte Carlo Masters, our first Masters 1000 on clay, and Andre Rublev coming through, defeating Holger Runa 5-7-6-4-7-5 in a highly dramatic final to capture the first Masters 1000 of his career. He now, he now has 13 titles, and I suppose I'm almost surprised that he hadn't won a Masters 1000 yet, uh, but for him to get his first one, he was so emotional in victory. And Rublev, to me, he strikes me as one of those pretty universally likable characters on and off the court. Everybody seems to be a fan of this guy, uh, the way he carries himself. He's so hilarious in interviews, and also the way he plays his tennis is, is really impressive. Yeah, I mean, I would agree to all of the above there. And we've been lucky enough to have him on Matchpoint Canada. Mm -hmm. What was that a couple summers ago? Yeah, I believe I got to speak with him here at the National Bank Open. And yeah, he was just chill. And I mean, that was back when it was all virtual. So it wasn't a face to face interview. And sometimes that can be a little bit awkward to sort of set a, a rapport with someone when you've only got a few minutes with them. But right off the bat, you know, a little joke before I hit record and you could tell he was just like a really good dude. And um I was also surprised, kind of an eyebrow raise, that it was his first Masters 1000. I, I kind of felt like he'd already had one before, but, you know, good number of titles to his belt already. And um, and for the Monclay, he's good on both surfaces. And I think, you know, he's in that range where he's going to have time post-Djokovic and Nadal to be in contention to grab some slams too. He's only 25 years old, mm -hmm. playing great ball. And, uh, and this should be, if nothing else, like a huge confidence boost for him that, hey, yeah, I can grab these titles and maybe this spurs him on to some more this year. I just wanted to touch on on the rankings right now. I, I find the four to 10 range right now in the ATP really, really interesting because if you go four, five, six right now, um, I believe it's Kasper Ruud, Tsitsipas and Rublev, and they're all within one year age of each other. Then you go seven, eight, nine. That's your block of Runa, Sinner, Felix, 19, 21, 22, 10, 11, Taylor Fritz and Tiafo, both 25 years old. So this is sort of that current generation, I, I guess, you know, 24, 25 current generation. They've been on the tour for four or five years plus and sort of know their bearings. They have that experience. They've all won titles. Then that seven, eight, nine block is very interesting, I think, with Runa and Sinner and Felix, who, of course, you know, go in with Alcaraz as well, who's number two in the world right now. It, it I think there's going to be a really interesting dynamic that plays out on the ATP as uh, the Djokovic's and Rafa's uh, leave the tennis sphere within seemingly the next few years, at least, I would say. 
Absolutely. I've, I've been finding this super compelling so far this season and no disrespect to Nadal or when Djokovic wasn't playing the sunshine swing or Alcaraz mm-hmm. when he was injured. Uh, sorry, Alcaraz is kind of part of this next way, obviously part of this next way. But what I'm saying is there, there's no shortage of drama. There's no shortage of great tennis and there's no shortage of fantastic tennis players that I think are going to fill the void when the old guard, you know, Djokovic and Nadal retire. I'm feeling super stoked for what the ATP tour is going to look like with the young ones like Alcarez and Runa and Sinner, and then the middle range ones in their mid twenties as well that you just mentioned. I think you put all of them together and we're going to have some great outcomes, some great draws and fantastic battles and maybe a little spiciness and drama in there too, depending on uh, who's shaking whose hand softly, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And that's a, a good point to transition to uh, with Daniil Medvedev, who is competing in this tournament. We know he doesn't adore the clay and he's been very vocal about that. It's his least favorite surface. He has to adapt uh, like some other players do. He reached the quarterfinals of this event before Runa beat him in straight sets, but uh, the round of 16 match with Alexander Zverev was really making the headlines. Medvedev coming through in that one, three, six, seven, five seven six Sasha Zverev twice served for the match and you know a lot of fans took note of what you could call a very icy cold handshake between the two players after the match which was maybe surprising for many as uh you know people thought these two had a friendly relationship after the match in in post-match press conference Zverev kind of laid into Medvedev calling him one of the most unfair players on the tour specifically citing that Medvedev took a toilet break at 3-4 in the third set. Now, Medvedev didn't take an official toilet break, we should just say. He ran off the court in the allotted 90-second time frame, came back. Zverev actually won the next two games after that happened. Danil came back and, and won the match. Medvedev responded, said Sasha Zverev is in his own world and told him to maybe look at himself in the mirror in terms of behavior. So, I mean, it's, this has been a discussion in tennis of like, do we need more spice and more rivalry and more angst? And we're, we're really getting it. getting it the past couple of weeks. Yeah, Jess Pagula was joking about how tennis needs more trash talk. Well, here it is front and center. I don't mind it. Uh, look, I'm kind of past talking about toilet breaks. I mean, my goodness, how much oh, time yeah. do we have to spend on that? Like, you know, these these are the rules. Yeah, some players abuse it, but it's it's within their right, you know, at certain times. Maybe you just put two porta potties on court. You just put one <laughs> next to one chair, one next to the other. You go and you use it if you need to, you know, blare mm-hmm. the music so audience don't have to hear any awkward sounds. And uh, and that'll just eliminate this leaving the court business. But uh, look, neither of these players, Medvedev or Zverev, are exactly uh, Prince Charming, okay, out there. They both have prickly aspects to them. I feel like Medvedev's is uh, is almost a bit of an act that he puts on, almost like he's portraying the character of a villain yeah. sometimes and kind of gets a kick out of it, you know, as he did in 2019 at the U.S. Open there. Um, and, and Zverev, to me, strikes me as more of being a, an actual jerk, for lack of a better term. I mean, he actually is prickly. I found him to be prickly in, in press. Uh, he's, he's got an overinflated sense of himself is, is my take on it. Um, but, but look, neither of these two are angels. So let them have it out. This is fine. It, it adds some drama, some spiciness, as you mentioned. Uh, I mean, this is what I wanted to see in the Netflix series Breakpoint, And I felt yeah. like it wasn't really in there, unfortunately. Um, so maybe they just don't have the cameras rolling at the right times, but, uh, I'm all for a little, uh, beef out there. I think it makes the, the game a little bit, uh, more, more interesting. And just to circle back to Holger Runa uh, for a moment, because he's one of the the fresh players on the tour that I think has a different attitude 
than a lot of the other players on the tour and seems to rub some the wrong way. And people were making note of Yannick Sinner not giving him much of a handshake after their, their tough semifinal match. Comments Stan Favrinka made after losing to Runa last year at the Paris Masters. He's got sort of a, I don't know if it's a bad boy attitude, but a type of arrogance in the way he carries himself on court, which is different. And I like it in the sense that he is different. I wouldn't like it if, you know, there were 20 other players like Holger Runa, but I, I think bringing out these unique personalities are adding some, some flair and spice right now to the tour, which is making it very compelling. Making it great for me. I'm writing an article this week for the national bank open website about does tennis need more villains or who are the villains in tennis? <laughs> right. So, Thanks to Holger Runa for giving me, you know, the villain in training character that I can write about in my article. Uh, I agree with you. Like, I don't want 20 people out there acting that way. But every now and then to have a few of them to just mix it up a little bit. You know, I'm, I, you know, Kyrgios goes too far quite often, but sometimes. And it's, it's you know, like him or Adam, he's bringing some new fans to the court. That's for sure, for sure when he plays. His matches are packed. And so, look, if Holger Runa is, is going to be the next wave of that, you know, we need some players like that. And... And some players, not just tennis players, but any sport, need that fire to motivate themselves. You know, yeah. hockey had Patrick Waugh, who was a fiery and competitive character and a, and a bit arrogant uh, as well, for sure. Tennis has seen it before. A young Andre Agassi definitely had that image is everything was his tagline with Nike. And and he used that to his advantage. McEnroe and Connors used that fire. Hated each other. <laughs> for, and, and hated each other and, and used that to bring out their best on court. So... You know, I, I would I would not really um, be able to to, to put up with a, a sport that that didn't have people like this. You can't just have everyone out there being nice guys. You know, it's it's you got to have some of that drama, I think, as, as well. Definitely. I, yeah, I think fans to relate to relate to having villains that can root against and then the the sweethearts and Prince Charmings that they can root for. Uh, if we touch on Novak Djokovic, who was the number one seed in Monte Carlo, you know, it felt more like an open draw, even though he did have the number one seed, given the fact Alcaraz isn't there, Nadal is out, and, you know, he was an 11-time champion, and Djokovic has admittedly struggled in Monte Carlo the last handful of years with some early losses. Happens again as he goes out in his round of 16 match to Lorenzo Musetti, biggest win of Musetti's young career um I, I guess i'm wondering why does novak start slowly on the clay and it seems to be a, a problem that has plagued him later in his career and it, is it of concern maybe as we near the french open in a month and a half or so yeah i mean in the past i might have guessed that deep runs in indian wells in miami might have tired him out a little bit to then cross back over to Europe and, and play that event so soon afterwards. That clearly wasn't the case this year, as he was as well-rested as as he could hope to be. But maybe that also lended itself to being not quite as sharp as usual. Um, as you mentioned, he's not really played well in Monte Carlo since he won the title there in 2015. Since that time, he hasn't gone past the quarterfinals. He's gone eight wins and seven losses twice losing in the opening round, including including last year against Davidovich Fakina. So mm -hmm. he actually got a few more points this year by going one round further. Um, but I don't put any stock in, you know, we could debate why, you know, uh, he, he hasn't performed as well there, but I don't put any stock in this having any future consequence for him not being one of the top three contenders at Roland Garros in a few weeks. 
Yeah, I, I certainly would agree with that. It is interesting to me that he's making an immediate turner, turnaround and playing this week in ATP 250 at the Banja Luka Open, which tells me he's hungry for more match play and was actually pretty ticked off to to lose as early as he as he did to Musetti. So he wants to get back out there and, and hungry for more matches and will certainly be the, the favorite to get the title there. We have action at Barcelona uh, this week, the ATP 500 Barcelona Open. Another tournament, Nadal has historically dominated he's still not ready yet to return um, as the 12-time champion but Denis Shapovalov will begin his clay court season here seated 14th um, what are your expectations for Dennis on clay this year I don't know man what my expectations for Dennis are on any surface to be honest with you I mean, yeah I don't know maybe we ought to put him on a pickleball court or something and, and change it up a little bit uh, so I really can't say. I mean, CC Pass looms as his potential second round opponent there, or, or his second match opponent, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, really, I think it's just roll the dice and see what happens here, and and maybe a surface change. I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago might be good for him because the hard court swing at the start of the year really did not go anywhere near what I'm sure his plan would have been. Um, so I don't know. He's he's had some success on clay before. He's had a couple of deep runs at clay court masters events. Not consistently but it has happened um this is obviously not a master's event but it's a pretty good draw here in barcelona even without rafa nadal uh but i think at this point i i don't know what anyone can say in terms of expectations for dennis because it's just been so inconsistent for him so far this year yeah and it's interesting to look back at his campaign last year on clay because after you, you know the brutal stretch where I think he dropped nine of ten matches, which included matches on clay, it came right after he got maybe the best clay win of his career, beating Nadal. Uh, so it's sort of hard to rationalize and understand. And, and Dennis is he, like this. He as went a down player. hard after that win, right? Like after that one, it was all downhill. Yes, hundred percent. And yeah. and that's that's what sometimes I, I guess just so head scratching with Dennis is you see the highs and you see the potential. You see him beating Rafa, uh, beating the best clay court player of all time. You see him competing hard. You know, I know he hasn't beaten Djokovic, but being competitive and being there, losing tough five setters to Hercatch and Rublev at, at slams, making the semis at Wimbledon, and knowing he has the potential in there and and seeing him lose to players outside the top 75, outside the top 100. Uh, so I, I don't know if he'll be this streaky type of player forever. Maybe that's just going to be, maybe he's going to be like that hot and cold three-point shooter in the NBA. And that's kind of be the career we have to accept watching him. <laughs> I mean, but... I think that's what Pam, I think that's what Pam Shriver told us last year when she was on the pod is like, this is pretty much what she expects from Chapo. You know, you know my concern is that the, the cold spells have been running longer the last couple of years than the yeah. hot spells. Mm-hmm. And uh, look, I take no, no pleasure in, in, in offering critiques here. Uh, I would love to see Chapo go on a run. I, I would love to see him harness that, that potential for sure. And um, and just to say a positive thing for sure lately is uh, Dennis has been very outspoken in terms of equal rights for female tennis players yes. and his female counterparts on the WTA. So definitely got to give him props for, you know, at the age of, uh, gosh, what is he now? 23, 20? Is he, at, did he just turn 24, didn't he? Yeah, he just turned 24 okay. a couple of days ago. So a happy belated so, birthday to, to Dennis as well. Yeah, so what I want to say is, you know, part of that maturing process as a young adult is... Uh, getting more involved and and that to me signals that he's interested in having his voice heard and tennis i think we can all agree needs more people to speak up than stay silent 
Yeah, no, no, I, I completely agree. And he's done a great job of that, of course, supporting his his girlfriend, Miriam Borkland, in, in her career and sort of seeing the difference in paychecks, which can be frustrating. Uh, so I'm glad he can be outspoken about that. Uh, should mention Carlos Alcaraz is the number one seed. So this is actually his first tournament on the clay post sunshine double. Uh, some action as well in the WTA. We do have uh, Stuttgart in action. Um, we'll get Iga Sviantek. Uh, is returning on Jabur, I believe, is playing. We are light on the Canadian content, though, as uh, Layla Annie Fernandez is not going to play after, of course, uh, a busy weekend at Billie Jean King Cup. And it was good news uh, that Bianca Andrescu is targeting a return for Madrid, so she will get some some clay court tennis before Roland Garros. And we just had some great uh, Canadian action with the Billie Jean King Cup, which we led on this episode. So that should hopefully sustain us for a while. Big win for the women. And uh, once again, Thanks to Karina Mustafa for joining us uh, this week on the podcast and uh, doing a great, great job at recapping what it was like there. And uh, Ben, I'm stoked for more clay court tennis. So uh, let's keep it going here on Matchpoint Canada moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for listening. We will talk to you next time. 